Well, welcome everybody. This is the Follow Me Overland podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fable, and welcome. We've got a guest in the studio today. He's not quite in the studio, coming through the power of the internet, but I've got a, a friend called Nathan Dunn. Welcome, Nathan. Hello, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. It's nice to hear from you. Now, this podcast's all about uh, overlanding. We're going to have a chat in a little bit about tyres. That's the main reason that we hooked up. But but tell me, Nathan, um, you're into the overlanding scene as well. What um, what, what do you do? What are you driving? And, and what's happening in your life that's overland? So there's some history. I've, uh, I've done a fair bit of overlanding in Australia, uh, in mostly land cruisers, but also in a uh, 28-seat four-wheel drive bus that was owned by a friend of mine that was running mountain bike tours. So wow. in the off-season, we used to take the bus and a few friends and go out and do some see some really good places in Australia. That was quite good. But in Europe, uh, I spent ooh, a good five years living in a transit van, and <laughs> I saw 28 countries in that transit van. I went as Amazing. far east as Kiev. And as far south yeah. as Turkey, um, and then now I've uh, upgraded to the truck mostly because I was sick of needing a shower. It, it really wears on you being smelly, and it affects your love life. Right. <laughs> so, do you have a love life in a in a transit van? Then that's an interesting question. Uh, I I didn't do too bad. Uh, I had a, <laughs> a a girlfriend from Colombia, which is exciting. Right, um, okay. I had a, a girlfriend from Sweden come and visit me, which is a little bit wow. more calming, but, but, but yep. also very nice. Uh, and uh, there's not really a shortage of, of nice people that, that want to go traveling around, particularly right, when they okay. don't have to do any of the work involved in, in preparing a vehicle or, or <laughs> all of that sort of thing. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's it's interesting that there's actually a lot of people who've come from the kind of the van life community that are mo- moving into sort of the overland uh, area of vehicles, if that's a right phrase for them. I know Paul Jackman, of course, who drives Millie, he was um, uh, he was living in uh, in a van for a while. He actually had a, a, a canal boat. But I know a lot of other people, they kind of, I wouldn't say upgrading, that's the wrong word, but they're upscaling, I think, into overland vehicles. Um, is that the main reason then you wanted to sort of upscale into something larger or was you more interested in this overland capability some of us are interested in? Yeah, so originally when I bought the Transit, I bought a low roof, short wheelbase Transit, which was tougher to live in, but much easier to travel through the cities and travel through Europe. That that vehicle was purposely built for Europe. And it was also a case of, I don't really know how well I like this gig, whether I want yeah. to continue living the van life or whether I want to go back to living in a real house like a real boy. <laughs> and um, in the end, I did decide that I liked it. And I was looking for things that you could live in longer term, things with showers and more water storage. And I was looking yeah. at buying a secondhand motorhome. And the, uh, the, the off-road capability of the normal secondhand motorhome market was absolutely horrendous they've got enormous rear overhangs and they're low to the ground and they've got limited weight carrying capacity i uh i was very very disappointed in that i mean i took my short wheelbase transit quite a few places and it was more capable than you might think because it had the traction control even though it was only front wheel drive i only needed one of those front wheels on the ground for it to be able to pull through something Um, right yeah and uh, to go from that to being a, a motorhome where I really couldn't go anywhere at all was, was quite disappointing. So I was looking for something that was big enough to take a serious amount of water and have a nice shower. Yeah. And I was looking for four-wheel drive, and it doesn't exist unless you build it yes. yourself or pay for it to be built, I imagine. But uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a different kettle of fish. That's exactly the thing. And, and you know, I kind of got a bit inspired. You talk about Australia. I, I know, Nathan, you're from Australia. I've spent some time there. I was always... Um, uh, quite impressed how uh, things are a little bit uh, more overland sort of bias out there. I know your your caravans out there are phenomenal. So if anybody has never seen a, an Australian caravan, they're completely different to the UK ones. They've got big wheels, high clearance, and um, and metal frames at the front, to stone guards, I think, to stop you from wrecking your caravan as you go uh, uh, across the stones and things. 
in Europe, we're a little bit less set up for that. I mean, in fairness, we've there's a lot more roads here. I think you can you can see a lot in Europe just by travelling on normal roads. But if you feel like getting uh, off grid or off the beaten path, um, you are limited when you're driving. You know, something like a motorhome. Yeah, which is exactly why I chose the transit for to do Europe. I mean, I came over from Australia to Europe with the intention of seeing Europe, and you know, I've parked outside the natural history museum in london in kensington and slept in my transit i've um i've slept um uh, on the main uh shopping boulevard with a view of the acropolis in greece you know the, the the places that i've been in that transit are phenomenal but when you come to europe that's the sort of places you want to see when you go to australia there's different sorts of places you want to see or Africa yeah. or, 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 or places like that. So uh, it's it's horses for courses. And I'm glad that I did the European yeah. portion of, of my world's travels in the vehicle that I did. And now it's time to go somewhere else and it needs a different vehicle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was just kind of thinking, though, it's it's when you're in a transit van, you're less likely to get moved on when you park somewhere strange, aren't you? If you've... Uh, if you've got a if you've got a big um, if you've got a big vehicle and you park outside somewhere famous, you, you, you're quite likely to get moved on. So, what kind of a vehicle have you have you gone for then? So, I chose the ex British Army Leyland DAF T two four four. Good uh, choice. Partially, <laughs> I know you think it's a good choice. Um, <laughs> partially because it's a cheap. I'm not going to deny that that price is a factor, but. Also, it did tick all of the boxes that I was after, which was uh, much greater load carrying capacity, so I can Mm -hmm. carry lots of water and have nice showers. Uh, It has uh, uh, four-wheel drive. It's got parts and engines that I can repair or have repaired throughout most of the world. It comes with the standard Cummins engine. I mean, one of the things I was looking at was the the MAN series of trucks. Yes. uh, As used by the EU. And they're much harder to fix. The transmissions are harder to find parts for. The engines are harder to find parts for. Uh, it's a different thing. But they're also a, uh, a step up again. They're a different size vehicle. Instead of being a 10-ton vehicle, they're a 16-ton vehicle. And, yes. Uh, with bigger wheels and, and more fuel consumption and everything's bigger again. So in the end... I decided both for the size reason and for the parts availability, I wasn't going to go for the man. And I, yes. uh, I ended up with the DAF. Um, yeah. It's so sometimes, sometimes, sim- sorry, Nathan, sometimes simplicity is, is the key, isn't it? I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Defender fans, you know, uh, Defender lovers love the Defender so much because of its, uh, its intrinsic simplicity. Yeah. And also once you're in a Defender, there's just, a massive market of parts and uh, aftermarket modifications and suspension and everything that comes for it. Uh, it, it it's 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 a, it's a different world having all of that stuff available off the shelf. Yes. I mean, it, it's similar. I remember when I was in the transit, I really wanted one of those plastic things that go in the bottom of the side of the door, yes. and instead of just having a, a door card across there on the sliding door, if you're in a Volkswagen. You can buy one that slots in and put all your shoes in and it has storage inside. But they don't sell that for Fords or anybody else. Yes. Because the Volkswagen is the quintessential van life vehicle and that's where all of these third-party products are available for. Whereas yes. uh, uh, when you go for, the, um, for the, the Defender, that's the sort of market you're stepping into. Everything is available for it. If you want a water yes. tank that fits underneath the uh, right-hand quarter, uh, you're off the shelf. No cut. You don't have to custom make this sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and that's where the, the, there is a difference, though, there with the DAF, definitely, isn't there? Because um, finding things uh, off the shelf to fit the DAF is not quite as easy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, with, it's a different thing because it's a standard chassis truck with a tray and you've got uh, all your standard kind of lorry parts can fit it. So when you want lockers and all of that sort of thing, none of that's particularly difficult to get hold of, or even fuel tanks. But uh, if you want stuff that's going to fit into the cab, that's a different story. It, it, that sort of thing is not available at all 
you can't buy floor mats to fit you can't buy ceiling liners you can't buy cup holders the fact that it doesn't have a cup holder is an absolute travesty um, <laughs> but uh, uh yeah it's uh th th i'll agree that there's definitely that kind of modification market isn't there yeah that's right so i i guess you've got to be a little bit more diy haven't you if if you're into these things so you've got to be able to turn your hand and and solve problems yourself you're not going to find products off the shelf that are that are going to fit so you're going to have to buy something and make it fit yes uh, or pay somebody else to do it so there, there are plenty of people offering that sort of service as well yeah, that's right. And one of the things that, that brought us uh, sort of together to talk about this is one of the things that's not quite so easy to find for uh, ex-military vehicles like the DAF T244 uh, is tyres. Is that right? Yeah, well, in one sense, they're actually too easy to find. And yep. that becomes a problem. So with, the, with this size, it used the same size tyres as the Bedford before it which is 12R20. And the British Army had warehouses and warehouses full of tyres in this size, which is probably yes. why they specified it for the vehicle. But yes. um, those tyres have been sold off for the last 10 years. And anyone who needs a tyre in that size has always had this cheap option of buying it from the ex-army stores or, or somebody who's reselling ex-army stores for yes. as low as £50 a tyre. And there's no manufacturer that can compete with that sort of pricing. So yes. they didn't bother. I remember when I bought mine, it was 12 months ago, and the tires on it, the oldest one was 38 years old. Yes. It was well older than the truck. So yes. and, and I was not willing to drive around on a 30-year-old tire. It's just yeah. a, a bomb waiting to go off, especially when you start putting 100 PSI in these things. Yes. But I could not at that time I literally could not buy a brand new tire in the in the UK. Yes, yes. So and, and in, in the end on my way out when I was traveling east in the truck I ended up buying five new tires in Belgium. Right. Okay. Was that expensive then? Uh it wasn't out of the ordinary for tires. I bought Michelin XDY which is a mining truck like a, a quarry site tire. Uh, they're a little bit more road oriented than some of them that are available in the in, in the the pure off road tires. Yeah. But I thought it was a good choice for overlanding. Yes. And yeah, that wasn't available here. I ended up paying in euros about two thousand three hundred euros for five tires. Right. Okay. Which is which is not too bad at all. Which, which is which is fitted. Yeah, euros fitted. I don't think that's too bad now. Of course, one, one of the things that's happening, it's not quite happened yet, that's happening, so we're informed, that's going to affect the whole tyre market, um, is the new law. And, and for those that are listening who don't know the new law, um, there's a law that any steering axle on a HGV uh, must have tyres that are less than 10 years old. So, and... There's because there's a lot of ex-military trucks that are running their original tires. Because my truck, for example, I've got a DAF T24, uh, T244, the same as Nathan. Uh, mine's only done 27,000 kilometers, it's got the original tires on it, so they're almost like new tires. But the tires are now more than 10 years old. So on the steering axle, the new law says. I'm going to have to change those tyres. Now, that's causing a little bit of ruckus amongst some of the uh, ex-military vehicle owners. Um, I know a, a few people have been upset because, firstly, um, it's difficult to get the original military tyres. So they have the NATO tread on it, I believe. They're a specific tyre that's specific to that vehicle as it was provided by the military. Now, as you said, Nathan, the stores of those things, they still exist. So you can still go to certain places and they've got hundreds of these tyres. Some of them might be used that you can actually um, spend a small amount of money on and, and buy if you need a new tyre. But now all those tyres are defunct. So there's lots, I'd say hundreds, maybe even thousands of ex-military vehicle users out there who are now in the market to replace their tyres. Um, 
personally, this is my personal thoughts, I think that that's a little bit harsh on an enthusiast market. My uh, issue with this is that a lot of ex-military truck owners own ex-military trucks for the joy of just owning them. We're not all turning them into overlanders. And now they're forced into replacing at least three tyres because you have to change the two on your steering axle if you've got one steering axle plus your spare um, to bring the tyres up to date. Because you can't buy the original tyres, you're going to end up with odd tyres, which also means you're probably going to end up having to buy five tyres for a truck. And some of the prices we've been looking at have been about a £1,000 a tyre. Um, so that could be a potential bill of £5,000. Now, there's good reasons behind this law. It's about safety, but it's also affecting DAFT 244. How do you feel about that, Nathan, yourself? I think that people should be far less upset about the price and far more upset about the news that they've been driving around on unsafe tyres and putting other people at risk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. So, uh, but but are they unsafe? That's the thing. Now, uh, my limited knowledge of this is this: this is an act that was brought about after some campaigning by uh, the parents of uh, a child who died in a coach accident. And what, in actual fact, had happened is the coach was running tires that were much older than the coach itself. One of the tyres on the steering axle blew. The coach had an accident. There were fatalities. Um, and, you know, so there is a safety issue, and there's no doubt about it that running older tyres is going to be more dangerous than running new tyres. But where, you know, where do we accept a reasonable uh, level of risk, do you think, Nathan? We can always be safe. We can always go for the safest option, but the safest option would not be to drive a vehicle at all. Um, where, where do you think the, the, the line should be drawn with this? Do you think it's reasonable where it is at the moment? Yeah, the unfortunate part about this is that it is a gradient. Uh, a, a tyre that's one day over 10 years old is not particularly any more dangerous than a tyre that's one day under. Yeah. But then uh, uh, a person who, uh, who wants to have sex at one day over 16 is not that <laughs> much more mentally capable of deciding that sort of uh, important decision as someone yes. who's one day under. But we do have to draw a line somewhere. The nature yes. of enforceable laws is that they have to have lines involved. Mm. Um, so so there, there does have to be a line somewhere. Drawing the line at 10 years, that has precedence in other countries. Yes. So in Sweden, where I've spent a year living, and I believe in Germany and uh, multiple other European countries, the line is 10 years on yes. all tyres, not just yes. heavy vehicles. Uh, yeah. And that hasn't just been that hasn't been picked out of thin air. That's come out of the research. That's come out of the statistics and showing that there is a remarkable uptick mm. in um, in accidents caused by tyres after this time period. Yes. So it, it also gives enough time for your average person, and this perhaps is more important as to why the date was chosen. I suspect. Yes. It gives your average user, your either commercial trucking user or your average household user driving their vehicle every day, enough time to wear out their tires. And so nobody's yes. really complaining at that point. The, 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 the market in the UK is also distorted by this huge store of very old tires for this particular vehicle. And mm. if you were buying other trucks where people were buying, when they were buying tires, they were buying new tires. I think that you'd find that the vast majority of people were already in compliance. Whereas because of this market distorting factor of the huge store of out of already out of date tires that are going yes. very cheap, it's caused a particular problem for a very, very small subset of people. Uh, yes. th the answer is, do is the law erring too much on the side of safety and less on the side of, of inconveniencing everybody? The answer yes. is it's not inconveniencing everybody. It's no, only it inconveniencing a very, very small set of people because of a specific distorted market. And yes. I don't think that's the responsibility of the lawmakers. 
No, absolutely. But but they do. I mean, there are um, exceptions to this law for people who are driving classic vehicles because this is, you know, it's been recognised by the lawmakers. The law's not actually into place yet, so we might actually find that um, uh, that there are some uh, some changes or some exceptions we don't my, know about. My understanding but, is that it's been passed, but the implementation right. date hasn't come about, so it's not being enforced yet. Uh, thank you for that, Nathan. Yeah, so I didn't know that. So... Um, now, as I was saying, one of the groups that is exempt is classic uh, vehicle owners, and and so that market's been recognised. You know, there's some people that own classic vehicles. It might be very very difficult to replace those tyres, um, and they're non-original tyres. Some people, you know, like the idea that they've got a classic vehicle they can drive on the road, take to shows. Uh, that's 100% original. Uh, another exception is also being for farm vehicles. These are very low mileage vehicles. Tend to be very low speed vehicles, um, and they have an exception. So those are small groups that have been recognised, and and you're right. I think overall the law is 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 good. I completely agree with it because I think it's it's especially for people driving HGVs. We've got a lot of HGVs on the road. I'd like to think that that forty ton HGV that's driving down the road has got compliant tyres and it's not going to blow um, and you know run into the side of uh, of me or anybody else. Uh, however, blanket rules that affect everybody, they're, they're never a good thing. You have to look at exceptions. And I did think myself that um, a class of people who are, are driving either the four-wheel drive vehicles or ex-military vehicles ought to possibly get an exception. Now, you mentioned Germany. In Germany, four-wheel drive vehicles are exempt from this rule. So you don't have to have tyres less than 10 years old, so I'm told. So that's one of the things that I, I kind of thought about. You know, should people who are in this small subset, but they are enthusiasts, that's, that's a general term, people who are owning their vehicles for the pleasure of owning them, they're not running them commercially, they're running them, a lot of people are buying them, keeping them original because they're ex-military vehicles, still keeping them in the NATO green. People are even putting fake guns on the roof of that and, and taking them to shows. Should not two these people be granted an exception, do you think? Uh, I don't see any particular reason why. So the uh, antique cars uh, are granted an exception, I believe, on the basis that tyres are not available. I had a word yeah. with a man who stores his uh, 75-year-old American Jeep ambulance in yes. the shed uh, next to me where I store the truck. And... Um, the man is even older than the Jeep. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he said the new law is no problem for him because he can buy yeah. new tyres that uh, that are the same pattern as the original tyres that were on it yep. from 75 years ago. But yes. uh, I can understand uh, if you've got a vehicle for which tyres are unavailable, yes. then then perhaps that's that's passing the inconvenience law where your the government in if they insisted on that law being that vehicle being compliant it would put that vehicle off the road yes. uh, whereas in the case of you and I it is a much lower inconvenience threshold of money yes and, and, and I, I I do think that it it's all quite right to be um, to be enforcing this it, it's all, all of that you said in your entire center paragraph about enthusiasts and taking care, none of what you said actually addressed the fact that you think that these people can do something safely that we're not letting the commercial operators do. Yes. What, what, what makes someone that, that you want to be exempt able to, yeah, because to run the older tires uh, in a way that, that's different to anybody else? Yeah, I, I guess it can be some of the same as, you know, talking about people who are running classic vehicles. And when it comes to safety, safety is a statistic. So when you're talking about a large volume of vehicles on the road, something that will happen one in a million times will happen fairly, fairly frequently. So, th you know, this is how safety goes. And we, we're always balancing, uh, you know, you have to have a balance between what's safe and what's practical. Uh, speed limits on roads is probably much safer to have lower speed limits, but it's not practical. So there's always 
a line to be drawn. You can never make something 100% safe. So you have to have acceptable safety levels that also allows you to be able to go about life uh, in, in the way that, that, that we'd like to be able to go about it. So that there's a balance between the two. So do you Some think people, uh, enthusiasts who love their vehicles should be able to do 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone? Uh, no, I don't. No, because there's no reason that they should do, uh, you know, go over the speed limit. But it's um, more convenient for them. They get where they're going faster. Yeah, it, it, it is. But I, I don't see that as the same argument. I don't see it as a convenience. I, it, it's, I feel it's exactly as the same argument as the tyre argument. Uh, you're asking for one particular group of people who are inconvenienced by the law yes. to have an exemption. Yeah, yeah. That's that's correct. But this law has been brought in sort of unannounced to people who already own vehicles. When I bought my vehicle, when I buy any vehicle, I already know that the speed limit is 30 miles per hour. And there's no good reason why I should want to drive at 40 miles per hour. What's happened now with people of some vehicles that own them is without knowledge, um, they've suddenly ended up with a bill for more money, which is one thing, and that might turn out, come down to money. Now, money is not something that I'm particularly worried about, and replacing the tyres on my truck, I'm not that worried about from a financial point of view. But some people are. Uh, some people have spent, you know, the DAF T44s five or six years ago were £1,500 to buy. Now some of these people are looking at a £3,000 bill for tyres, which will price some people out of the market. And it will mean some people just can't physically afford to spend that amount of money on what's a hobby vehicle. Um, and Good. that will affect... that. Sorry, Nathan, that will have a direct effect on the market, do you not think? Um, well, no, you know, people because, who can't afford to run their vehicle safely shouldn't be on the yeah, road. Yes, but a year ago, or even today, they were able to afford to run their vehicle safely. Ah, so now, no, 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 it's a different question. They were able to yeah. afford, they were able to run their vehicle legally. Yes. But if they were buying second-hand tyres from this inflated store, which we've already spoken about... Yes that were 30 years old, they yes. weren't running them safely. Yeah. So, yeah, but I disagree because you've already said that safety is a spectrum. So now yes. what we've just decided is that we decided there's another point on the spectrum. Somebody's drawn a line and, and you can't really say safe on one side, unsafe on the other. I think anything no, that is I, clearly I, I, polarized. I agree. Yeah. If you're running yeah. a 11-year-old tyre or a 9-year-old tyre, there's not a great deal of difference. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the reason that I think that that most of the people who are complaining in the, the, the DAF groups yes. uh, don't have a leg to stand on is they're not yes. running 11-year-old tyres or even 15-year-old tyres. They're running 30-year-old yes. tyres. Yes, and yes. And that's, that's beyond the pale. Like I, I saw that my truck had 30-year-old tyres before this law was even heard of. Yes. And I said, oh, my God, I've got to buy myself some new tyres. And I set aside two and a half grand to do so as part of my budget for buying yes. and bringing the vehicle up to running order. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think a lot of people... That's, that's the, the reasonable course of action. Yes, and I think a lot of people uh, kind of saw that. Um, and you recognise the fact that you didn't like 30-year-old tyres, but I, you know, whether you blame them or not, I think a lot of people didn't. They spent £1,500 buying a truck and didn't realise that they would be enforced in a few years. Now, I'll tell you what I think is fair, because I do think that the law is reasonable as far as safety goes. I haven't actually seen the statistics. I think, well, I don't know whether it was you, Nathan, somebody sent me a, a link from the government website talking about statistics of safety of older tyres. It'd be interesting to find out what the risk is if you're trying to uh, you're trying to risk balance. But It, it is very low. Uh, you, you're yeah. right. The, the, the chances of any one person having an accident yes. are vanishingly uh, uh, small. Yes. But yeah. The the chances of an accident happening because of this issue in all of the UK are actually yeah. quite likely. Just like you said, it's the law of yes. probabilities. The more people you have on the road That's with right. these things, the more time. Yes. And from that point of view, that I I agree. I you know I don't think overall the law is a bad law. I think it's a good law. I think a lot of people are scared because it's come on quick. So one of the things that I am hoping. Um, is that when this law, um, you know, is it, being enforced, 
that there's a time limit given. That's something I would like to see. I know that there's a couple of uh, DAF owners right now out there in the Overland community who are almost in a state of panic trying to save up to buy tyres. There's there's a couple of people at least who are actually full-time vehicle livers. They live in the vehicle full-time. And uh, if this law comes in as they stand at the moment, they'll be uh, they'll have to take their vehicles off the road and won't be able to travel around and things. So they're they're in a state of panic. If they were given two years, and I'm just being hypothetical with the time limit to change those tyres, I feel as though that would be more reasonable because that that gives the market chance to adjust as well. Because there's now going to be a market for um, you know for these um, 12R20 tyres uh, and maybe more manufacturers will bring those out into the market and, and maybe it'll, it'll be easier to buy them. Uh, did you think that's a reasonable thing? It's something that is very easy to... Um to correct from a market point of view, there's a yeah. number of tyres. There's the uh, Pirelli put one out, Michelin, uh, Michelin do the XDY and the yeah. XZL, which is the more off-road focused version. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one from Continental in the, ooh, what is it? Uh, there's a, there's a, a semi-off-road version from Continental that competes with the XZL. Yes. Um, there's there's many tire manufacturers that do do this so yes. it's a purely a matter of the retailers getting in stock i was able to yeah. get new tires in belgium off the shelf That's, yes, they, they had them yeah. there and they they put them on vehicles in belgium it's not that these things don't exist or that people have to manufacture new tires from scratch or come from the factories or get imported from somewhere else they're mm. they're, they're in warehouses all across europe waiting to right. be shipped out so it's not it's not something that takes time to get to market but uh, in regards to getting people time to come into compliance i'm less inclined to 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 agree with that uh the the, the first reason is like i said before that many of the people are running on horrendously old tires that are Mm. definitely significantly less safe Uh, we're not talking one or two years we're talking 20 years past the 10-year barrier yep it, 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 it and uh, I'm probably in favour of of putting those sorts of vehicles off the road straight away. It, right, it should okay. it shouldn't be allowed to run on thirty year old tyres that ever. Uh, yes, but should you we say have be, perhaps we have been since the dawn of time? Well, the dawn of time since the dawn of the um, well, technically <laughs> not for the first been... thirty years after the tyre was invented. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> very clever. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, but yes, in, indeed. So uh, we've been fine up to now, or not quite fine. Yeah, we, as we've, I said, we've, been, we've been doing lots of things. We've been yeah. um, uh, e- drinking and eating off of glassware made with radium because it has beautiful, yeah. bright colours. But as we learn that some things are unsafe and as we learn that things can mm-hmm. be done safer, then we, 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 we do change the rules. Radium's been yes. outlawed. Arsenic's been outlawed. Not asking, um, asbestos has been outlawed because asbestos yes. is fantastic insulation. But, yes, yep. uh, the, 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 the argument that it's been done that way for a long time, I think, is mm. particularly facetious coming from a medical professional. Yeah, well, I think it's actually, I mean, I wasn't saying, I think there's a name of a fallacy. I can't remember the name of a logical fallacy where you can use the fact that some things exist for a while as a reason for it to go on. Um, I forget my logical fallacies now. But, you know, but what I'm saying is that we've been like that to a certain, um, you know, for many, many years. I'm not saying that things don't progress and don't change in, you know, pursuit of safety, but for them to change in a snap suddenly and say, right, we've got a hard deadline now, there's no time time to, to come to come into compliance just seem a little bit sort of um, uh, unfair the most changes tend to be phased in you know you talk about asbestos you know where companies were given time to be able to strip out the asbestos from buildings and things like that they weren't expected to do it on Sunday afternoon um, so I do think sometimes that you know I, I do feel as though maybe myself personally that a phased um, uh, a phase, phase period of a period of compliance would be a reasonable thing to. That's my personal thing, but we we don't all have to agree, Nathan. Well, if you were to say perhaps up to fifteen years for a certain period of time, uh, or maybe maybe started out at 
20 years and every year cut it down by one. So next year it's only 19 years and next year. So you could do that. But yeah. that still gets the people that are on really, really old tires off the road yes. quickly. Because yes. I, I, I do feel that they're quite a risk at the moment. Yes. Uh, I... the, the other one is it's not coming out of nowhere. This yep. has been in the works and it was uh, under consultation. It first came out over a year ago when yes. there was asked for industry consultation and things like that. Mm. Um, so to say that it's come out of nowhere and is some sort of snap decision is also wrong. Yeah, so what's, to me it's come out of nowhere because I didn't know about these conversations. But, you know, what I'm saying is that if they suddenly, let's just say on the 1st of December, I have no idea of dates, decide that this rule is in place and then expect everybody to um, to be in compliance straight away, that's what I'm saying, you know, I wouldn't want to happen straight away. A period where people can then think, right, I've got two years, I've got one year, whatever feels uh, fair to get this sorted to save up um, and then I can get my, uh, you know, my vehicle into compliance. Are you sure that's what's going to happen? So I I don't know what will happen. That's the thing. I don't know enough about what's been decided. It might be they're already planning to do a period of compliance. And that's what I'm hoping, um, that there is something. Because I think the feeling at the moment is there's almost a little bit of panic going around. I don't know what you've picked up from some of the, the forums. Uh, people are like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to have no tyres soon and uh, and I'll be off the road and I need to find some tyres. And, uh, and that very much is the feeling I'm picking up from some people. Just moving on slightly then, Nathan, really interesting. I do thank you very much for your your opinion on that. But um, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about tyres then, because this, for me, and initially, before this law came into place, um, uh, I wasn't actually thinking about changing my tyres as a priority in my build. It didn't mean that I wasn't going to be changing my, my tyres before I, I was going off on any adventures, but it was something I was going to put off to later and think about. Now, though, it's making me think about a little bit sooner, and it's actually made me wonder whether um, I'm running, going to be running the right size tyres for uh, what I'd like to do with my vehicle. Uh, you, you've got the same vehicle as, as mine, the DAF T244. What's your thought on different tyre sizes? This is another very, very contentious issue. Um, I've, uh, I've seen a lot of discussions about this going all different ways. Uh, are big tires better? You, you do have to say yes. Are the original tires good enough? I think so. Is a different question. Are they better? No. Nobody's going to say that the smaller tires, yeah. the original tires, are better than some of the big fourteen R tires that people are putting on. Yes. But um. The 14Rs come with a lot of downsides that I wasn't prepared to accept. Uh, yes. You have to modify the wings and the um, uh, the clearances on the rear as well. So, and even then, there's still contact at full articulation. Uh, so uh, that can be a problem and that can damage your tires when you're doing full articulation. Yes. Uh, you have to modify the brakes. You have to buy new rims. Like if you're complaining about buying new set of tires, wait till you add in a new set of rims to that price that are, yes. that are custom made. Because yep. uh, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Mm. Um, and most importantly for me is that once you've got the bigger chains, bigger tires, particularly on the front, I'm of the opinion that it makes it impossible to use chains on the front wheels. Right. And okay, after living yeah. in Sweden for a year and driving in the winter conditions mm. um, on snow and ice uh, the, the whole time, I mean, we lived at a remote data center up in the mountains. And so I did a lot of driving on snow and ice there. Right. And it's it's critically important for me before I try and go to anywhere dangerous or anywhere with snow or to the Himalaya or something else that I'm happy to get chains on both yes. the front and the rear wheels. So with with the larger wheels, I wouldn't be able to do that either. So th th there's downsides. If I was only planning to drive it uh, on Fraser Island or across the Simpson Desert where it's all sand and I wanted the extra flotation, then the, the larger wheels would be a, 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 a big benefit and I wouldn't be needing chains or anything else. So there would be very, yes. little, um, very little downsides. But 
in my mind, those downsides do outweigh the the the, the upsides. Yeah, it's, I have, it's quite. I have one more requirement that is going to be very very strange compared to most people that won't have this requirement, um, and that's my requirement to keep as much of the vehicle as stock as possible, because yes. I am intending to import my vehicle into another country from the UK, and I've been told that uh, modifications are viewed very, very badly when you're doing the yes. importing process. If you're running a stock vehicle that's been engineered and designed by people at DAF or, 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 or whatever else, and not only that, but also has a long history of running because they look at the number of recalls that are available uh, mm. to see whether it's safe and whether those recalls have been applied. Uh, a lot of that sort of uh, information for the government of the country where I'm going to be importing it, which is Australia, of course, being me. Mm. But uh, a lot of that would go out the window if I started throwing larger tyres. What does that do to the stability? What does that do to the brake force required? Um, then if I try to import a vehicle with larger tyres, are they going to have to have an engineer's report on whether the brakes are strong enough for the vehicle? Because yes. that is affected by the tyre size. Whereas if I keep, as long as I keep the standard stuff, they know they have a long history of the army running these vehicles with very few problems uh and uh it's it means that i can import it into australia so uh, mm. that's the requirement that won't hit the vast majority of people but it, it's another one that i had to consider well i also think I, I think it's a really important point really important and and because i've looked at this idea between the bigger tires and the smaller tires myself uh, one of the issues I have is when you look at any vehicle, whether it's a DAF T244 or, or you know, whether it's a Reliant Robin, uh, the amount of engineering skill and money and research that goes into that vehicle is unbelievable. The skills and the talent that goes behind designing any kind of a vehicle is top notch. You speak to auto, you know, automotive engineers, um, they know their stuff and everything on a vehicle has been engineered for a purpose. Everything has been thought out. Things have been tested to levels that most people don't understand. So usually when you get a stock vehicle, you get a vehicle, okay, it, it's it's uh, been designed to fit a particular market, but you get a vehicle that has been well-engineered and, and uh, well thought, thought through. Once you start to change a stock vehicle, um, it starts to behave in a way that it wasn't designed to behave. Then you don't know about how reliable it's going to be, how functional it's going to be, how good it's going to be. So I'm always nervous about moving away from stock. That being said, I do like to have my own ideas and change things, which I'm doing with my own vehicle. But one of the things um, to do with the tyres that I was a little bit nervous about now... Um, the height of um, the standard DAF tyre, the um, 12R20, I think is about 46.4 inches uh, tall. That's, that's, that's how high it is. And if you go for the 14s, you get to about 49.5 inches. So you gain about three inches in height. And that's what I was looking for, a little gain in height. To Are you talking radius or diameter? No, I think that's diameter, isn't so it? So you're only so talking an inch and a half of extra clearance. That's correct, yeah. So it's an inch and a half. It also makes a difference to, of course, the rolling road speed. And one of the things that the DAF, uh, people complain about the DAF, is the gearing. Now, the issue that I have is to gain that extra height, it's done at the expense of gaining extra width. And a lot of people query when I say at the expense of extra width, because there is a misnomer amongst the off uh, the off-road or the overland community that wider tyres are better than narrow tyres, where in actual fact they're not. Uh, the reason that cars like the Defender and the DAF T244 have relatively narrow tyres is narrow tyres give better keying grip off-road. So you actually get a grippier tyre if it's narrow. And one of the things I was keen to try and avoid was actually going too wide on the tyres. And I've known a few people on the forums that have changed their tyres have gone for these really wide sort of uh, big tyres that look phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, I'm sold on the look sometimes to make them look very, very beefy and manly. But you're actually going to affect your off-road ability in doing that. And again, that's uh, all part of that emphasis of me not wanting to wander too far 
from the stock design of a vehicle. So uh, I, I don't think you're wrong with the keying issue, but uh, yes. I think the, the more accurate way to look at it than just the tire ratio is the pressure that you're using. Yes. A higher pressure will give you more keying. Um, these things at the pressures we're running at, at 90 PSI or something like that, yes. the highway pressure that I run, they're basically balloons. It might seem tough yes. and flexible to you and I, but when you've got <laughs> a 10-ton truck rolling on top That's of wrong. it and 100 PSI inside, yes, it's as flexible as a balloon. It, it, it presses down completely flat to the road. Yes. Uh, when you've got a certain amount of ground pressure and a certain amount of uh, rubber tread, if your ground is deformable in a certain sense, mm. then you want enough pressure to be able to push those knobs into the soil. And that That's works correct. well in the situation where the soil is relatively hard. When you've got very soft mud, then even the lowest pressure would be pushing your logs into the soil. So. It doesn't affect. I think your keying issue is going to work on a particular subset of soil types and soil pressures. If you're running mm. on tar, it doesn't make any difference because you're oh, not yes. you're not using physical keying. If you're running too soft, then any pressure will be able to do the physical keying. Um, what's more of a concern to me is the wall effect. So I found on the 12R20s, I was able to drive through snow that was. Mm up to the bottom of the axle. And I don't mean the bottom of the diff, I mean the bottom of the axle, dragging the diff casings yes. through the snow. Right. And on a wider tire, tire, I may have had trouble doing that because there's yeah. a much wider face of the tire that's having to be forced through. There's a lot more yes. snow that's having to be pushed out of the way. And that's correct. in snow, that's one thing, but snow is relatively soft. In sand, this is a big issue. And this is a problem that people have going too wide when they're driving on sand. Yes. People in the UK don't really have experience driving on sand, but I've done a lot. And when you've got the very, very wide tires, the contact patch is wide, but it's not very long. And the amount of sand that builds up along the front edge of the tire can be excessive. And that yes. can actually stop progress and cause wheel spin. Whereas the right. narrow tire, the footprint is long to because yes. you're uh, no, assuming you're running the same pressure the contact patch will have the same area because pressure times area is how you get your upforce. Um, so if you're running a narrow tire, the contact patch will longer, but will contain, will, will, will be the same amount of area. You get the same flotation on the same tire on the same pressure, on the different tire on the same pressure, but you have a much smaller wall in front to build up the sand. And That's right. th that makes a, a, a big difference. And this is the primary reason that the tall, narrow tyres are favoured on the Land Cruisers in Australia is for sand driving. And mm. because of that wall effect, uh, not for mechanical keying, I don't think. Yeah, so, they're, they're, so I, I believe the mechanical keying is part of it. I read uh, a very, um, and it's something people have asked me for and I can never quite uh, find it, but I did post something with references fairly recently on a Facebook group. I'll see if I can find it for you, Nathan, but there's a lot of engineering and physics behind tyres. I read this um, article uh, that was to do with, you know, the physics of tyres and the engineering of tyres and to talking about grip on narrow and wide tyres. Uh and definitely the overall lesson that was learned from that is that a narrower tyre is much more capable, keys and grips better off-road than a wide tyre. Uh, and I think they actually quoted, I can't remember, so nobody shoot me if I get in the wrong numbers, but there was something like 70, the depth, the sink depth had to be 70% of something, I can't remember what it was, before a wider tyre would suit. So there is a certain degree of softness, if you like, of, of the surface that you're, uh, that you're running on uh, that would warrant a wider tyre. And I can't remember, it actually gave you the, the statistics and the figures. Don't shoot me for not knowing. It was an article I found really, really interesting. Uh, it was very in-depth, quite mathematical. Um, but the overall lesson was from that was wide tyres, unless it's extremely soft, um, um, is to steer clear of and stay with the narrow ones. But yeah, I guess these uh, scientific articles are there to be debated and argued over. And without having it in front of me, it's, it's hard to to really argue that. But because I read that, though, I tend to steer clear of the uh, of the wider tyres. Um, 
And I do like to stay stocks, but I have um, wrestled with this idea of it, the, the rolling road speed. How do you find yours on your DAF? You drive yours. Mine at the moment um, uh, isn't even registered and things. Uh, I've been told that, you know, that at 50 or 60 miles per hour, there's a lot of drone and it can be hard work to drive long distance. What do you think to that? So that comes down to the major point that vast majority of overlanding is actually on roads. There's, there's the, the, the amount of overlanding that's properly off-road is vanishingly small. I mean, yes. there's plenty of overlanding that's done on bad roads. If you go to somewhere like Pakistan or, or, or the Palmyra Highway, that they're quite bad. Or even if you're in Australia and you're doing the Gib River Road. But yeah. off-road, that's a different thing. And... Mm people who are complaining and insisting on the very best off-road performance and choosing their tires by that metric i think mm. are doing themselves a disservice because the vast majority of the time you're going to be driving on on roads whether they be dirt roads or otherwise mm. uh i've chosen a uh, a mining truck a quarry tire which is very very tough but mm. the tread pattern is more road oriented than than many people would be happy with but yes. uh, uh, I've done that for reason, for very good reasons, I think. If I'm doing overlanding, it's my home. And the notion that you're going to be doing extreme off-road in your home is, is, well, I mean, some people might do it, but they've got more money than me. <laughs> That's true. Um, my my rule is mud. I um, Because I'm like you, I've, I've been looking at different tyres and I was thinking, you know, wouldn't I be better with a, you know, a, a, a sort of a tread that is a little bit more favourable for the road, but but obviously can be used off road as well because you know that a little bit more silence, a little bit more fuel economy. The only thing that puts me off is mud, and I know uh, my plans over the next couple of years is likely to take me down dirt roads that can become very very muddy and very very sludgy. The reputation of the DAF T two four four in mud is pretty poor. I've, I've been heard that. They're, they're not very good in the mud. And that was the thing that, that worried me the most. Have you any experience of that at all? Yeah, so I've been stuck in the mud a few times, but uh, not since I started adjusting the tyre pressures correctly. So yeah. I think that these people drive off the highway and get stuck in the mud when they're running their tyres at 90 or 100 PSI. And these narrow tyres are cut through the soil like a knife at those pressures. It's yes. um, uh, they they just go straight down and they head for the center of the earth and they don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you lower the pressures, it makes all the world a difference. And I believe they're a yeah. lot better uh, when they lower the pressures. Um, the yes. other thing is the self-clearing ability. So uh, I found that these XDYs they will self-clear in snow and sand and most other things, but in particularly sticky mud, they won't self-clear. And they, all of the grooves will fill up with mud and you end up with a very smooth disc. After yes. that, the only thing that's left is the flotation and you're driving on a smooth disc that hopefully floats across the surface. Mm. Uh, I was stuck out on a, um, on a floodplain that I mistakenly tried to drive across and I ended up lowering my pressures quite a bit to pull out of that. Mm. And I found that uh, I was able to run across quite easily once I did... Um, it's it's a question of how often do you get bottomless mud that is so common here in the UK, hmm. but really isn't that common. In Australia, I'd driven in mud before. You know, you get heavy rains, you have mud in the national park, you drive your four-wheel yes. drive through the mud. Uh, but what I'd never seen is I'd never seen the particular kind of bottomless mud that's available here where you dig and you dig and you dig and you're three feet hmm. down and it's still sloppy mud rather than hard ground um th th this this country doesn't dry out and it, it's it, it, it's i think that when people are uh planning to drive their vehicles in that kind of environment uh i think that they won't find it elsewhere in the world yes yeah yeah, interesting. I, I, I like that this country never dries out. It's very, very true. In the middle of the summer, you only have to dig a few inches down and you find damp soil. I, I, have, a, sure. I have a collection of, um, of words uh, for bog. 
You know how <laughs> the uh, the Eskimos famously have a hundred words for snow. Right? Yes. It's the soft, crunchy snow and the damp snow and the squeaky snow. And they yeah. all have particular words for that. But the British people have an almost unlimited variety of names for bog. Right. <laughs> have you got any as examples? Well, there's a water meadow and the downs and um, uh, uh, the bog and the marsh and the, the salt pan and... There's there's quite a few. I've yeah. got a list on my computer, but I, I think oh, it's up brilliant. to about forty or fifty names so far of, yeah. uh, of yeah. British words for bog. So um, yeah, that's it, phenomenal. It, 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 country has to be famous for something. <laughs> so we definitely seem famous for uh, for bogs or marshes and things like that. So tell me, Nathan, uh, we we're getting towards the end of things, but uh, what your, your aspirations and dreams? Yeah, I I know you you're here in the UK at the moment. You've been grounded a little bit because of the COVID situation, like lots of overlanders have been and things. Um, but I understand you're trying to uh, head across the world and and make it back to your home country, which is Australia. Is that right? Yeah, so I'm in a, a fairly unique position that I can work online and earn quite good money. Uh, that's um, that, that's enabled me to do this. It's not something that's come about by chance. Uh, I set out uh, deliberately moving into the job roles to acquire the particular yeah. skills to, to do this. Uh, and I set that out at least eight years ago. Uh, so when somebody asks me, you know, how do you make money online? Well, I'm like, start eight years ago and get the right job. Yes. But... Yes. Uh, yes, I would like to set out and travel the world a little bit uh, in my vehicle. Uh, I would eventually like to end up back in Australia uh, with my, uh, my my old friends and relatives. And not that I haven't made lots of new friends over here in Europe as well. But um, uh, it, it is something that I'd like to do. I'd like to head back to Australia. This type of vehicle, the T244, is something that's unheard of in Australia. So yes. the Australian Army uses uh, 4.5 ton Unimogs, but the only thing bigger than a 4.5 ton Unimog in, in in Australia really is the uh, Mack truck 6x6 Arctic trailer mm. tractor units. And um, that's a little bit big for an over, overlander. So uh, if you want something of this size, you've got to bring it in yourself. And yes. uh, yeah, I'd like to, to bring that in and, spend some time traveling around Australia uh, with that and uh, hopefully bring some of my family with me and and uh, enjoy the, the country in a way that few people really ever get to. Yeah, that sounds absolutely phenomenal. And I think it's um, it's good to have something unique as well. Um, you know, one of the, the, the interesting thing about these vehicles is they always get a lot of attention from general members of the public that, that seem to appreciate them a lot. So, uh, and I think to have something a little bit more unusual even, uh, you'll enjoy a lot in Australia. I am envious to you going back to uh, to the lucky country there to be, to be driving across Australia in an overland vehicle. Um, as I've said before, I've spent a couple of years there the place is phenomenal it's fantastic for uh, for overlanding the the nature and the wildlife uh, is immense uh, well the country is immense it's a huge uh, huge uh, place so i am quite envious um well, but i'm glad alone. that you uh, you know in the community you talk to quite a few other overlanders around the place i have not met one that that hasn't said that they would like to go to australia it's not um it seems to be on everybody's bucket list. Yes, yeah. So it's not an easy place to get to <laughs> the other side of the world there, Nathan. But I, I think that's one of the things that puts people off. But um, um, I've got a few friends. I've, I, I, I've got a friend that I've worked with who has a Land Rover and he's intending to drive in his Land Rover and, and make his way to Australia. Uh, in actual fact, he's a friend. I met him in Australia. He's back in the UK now. Um, so, yeah, so fantastic. Anyway, Nathan Dunn, look, it's been fantastic chatting to you. I hope it's not the last time where we have a talk. All quite interesting. Uh, certainly glad you're over here in Europe with us at the moment. Um, uh, hopefully one day we'll get to meet up. If we don't, have a safe trip as you head back to Australia. Keep in touch and let us know, uh, let us know what you're up to. So anyway, Nathan, thank you very much. It's been fantastic to hear from you again. Now, for all those people out there who are wondering uh, if they can catch up with you while you're on your journeys, where's the, where's the best place on social media for them to find you? So uh, unfortunately, I've been really quite slack about running the website. The website is daftwayhome.com. But fortunately, 
I am quite good at posting to Instagram and Facebook, which is the easy option. And that's by the same name, Daftway Home. Uh, very easy to find. Uh, it's because this is perhaps a daft idea and it rhymes with daft. So I, I thought that was appropriate. Well, fantastic. I actually think that's a really, really good name. So I'll put those links down in the show notes for anybody uh, who didn't get that. But the website is daftwayhome.com. That's kind of daft with a T, daftwayhome.com. And it'll be at daftwayhome for Instagram. So Nathan, thank you very much. It was really interesting to talk to you. Absolutely delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sean. Thank you very much. You've been listening uh, to the uh, uh, to the Follow Me Overland podcast. I was your host, Sean Favell, and of course we had Nathan Dunn, who's uh, one of the uh, uh, Overland um, occupiers of Facebook, if that's the right word for it. Thank you very much, Nathan Dunn, and you've been listening to Follow Me Overland. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm.